Mutability. Welcome to Nature's Lead. This is a podcast available at naturesleadcom that both examines and inspires a certain approach towards life that is based both on personal philosophies and on the writings of people such as Emerson and Thoreau. Please send any feedback to info at naturesleadcom or drop a comment onto the blog at naturesleadcom or even onto iTunes or wherever you get the free feed from. And if you're new to the podcast, I encourage you to listen to any prior episodes to get a better feel for things. This is Series 1, Episode 14, Title, Human Gravity. Okay, welcome back, everyone. In this episode, I talk about the need to gain perspective on the power that is pulling us together, and I look at some lines from a work by the Romantic poet Lord Byron. So we'll get to that in a second, but first, today's random window. Sometimes I end up taking the trash out at the oddest hour like maybe at 1 or 2 a.m. It's the most startling feeling to be outside when everyone's asleep in the area, startling in the sense that this place you traverse every day, both in light and dark, is usually so blatantly a part of the human world. But in the middle of the night, it's almost as if nature sneaks in after the last pair of eyes droop to a close and blankets the surroundings with cooled breath and muffles even the smallest of sounds down into the corners. I am, fortunately, always startled by this when I step out my door. On to the main topic, human gravity. Human gravity can be both magnificent and misleading. As people gather closer, the power attracting their feelings and their thoughts becomes all the more powerful with each individual gaining increased influence over the others. This is the power of proximity, and it can manifest itself into beautiful relationships of love or friendship, or even wonderfully distinct cultural groups. But it can also mislead people into blindly accepting imagined power structures in government or even in the workplace that aren't ideal, or into succumbing to difficult societal expectations in various cultures. It can be blinding in its totality of force. As you might know, nature exhibits this phenomenon. As large bodies, such as planets and stars, get closer, their gravitational influence over each other becomes ever more intense. For instance, the moon influences us more in some ways than the sun. It's the moon that spreads us out to the point of our oceans rising, the earth being stretched like an accordion towards the moon. The parts of the earth that are closer to the moon reach out further than the other parts and are drawn in. In the same way, the moon, first and foremost, rotates around the earth. Secondarily, it rotates around the sun. And even more distant still, the moon revolves among the arms of the galaxy. On the human scale, I want to talk more about the misleading aspects of human gravity in this episode. I want to save the beauties of love and friendship for a full future episode, because that topic doesn't deserve to have to share time, so to speak. So many people in a country feel that their culture is the best, the most sensible, the most rich. And then, within a country, there are subgroups and areas where those that live out their lives within them feel that their way of life, their way of celebrating or of working, is better than their countrymen. And still further down, the family 
is thick with beliefs and traditions that make the members feel certain they are beyond the limited collection of life living right next door. Just as we can cascade down from the galaxy to the sun to the earth for the innocent unassuming moon, we can also cascade down from country to community to family for the innocent unassuming individual. Both the human and the moon traverse the universe precisely as dictated by a long hierarchy of influential gravity. Can you imagine assuming your way of life is better than the next without having worn that world, without having walked through a day under that sun? To be honest, I can imagine that assumption, for I certainly felt that as a child. Even though I introduced the concept of intelligent innocence in a previous episode, I certainly didn't want to imply that everything we believe as a child is perfect. This is one of the positive aspects of growing up, gaining perspective. Not everyone does, of course. Most don't, I personally believe. Perspective is very hard to come by. We are surrounded by influence day in and day out. And this should be expected since we daily walk in our tightly traced out hours and minutes, pinched and squeezed into repeatable paths. It's all we see. And I ask you, I ask myself, if all you've ever seen is red, how could you ever come to know your favorite color is blue? We could all be mind readers of those around us, those who crisscross our path all day, every day. These people have grown into us, or we into them. We not only share much of the same space each day, but we also share much of the same mind. This human gravity pulls us together. The random floating pieces become a planet, united in beliefs and direction. The question then becomes, what do we do to loosen that hold? How can we pull out of that gravitational pull for a while to help build perspective? I feel that attaining mutability, traveling, and diversifying interests and skills are three valuable ways of weakening our union with local gravity. Of course, I examined mutability in episode 5, titled To Change is to Live, and I start off each episode with that word. For those who haven't listened to that episode and just thought that crazy word at the beginning of each episode was a technical glitch, (laughs) mutability is the ability to change. Having the capacity to change in life is one of the greatest abilities we can develop. But let me turn for a moment to the second one I mentioned, traveling. Lord Byron is one of those romantic writers from the early 1800s that I often reference, and he actually became very famous with women upon the publishing of the poem called Child Harold's Pilgrimage, which was a character writing about his travels across Europe. Byron later admitted that it was, to a large extent, autobiographical, and Byron wrote it as he, himself, was traveling across the continent. Byron was somewhat disillusioned by the city life and society life, and he was making some real connections with nature that gave him perspective on the troubles of his life back home. This is a very long poem, and I'm not going to try to go into much detail about it in this episode. I just wanted to bring in a few lines from one section because it speaks to that time of separation when perspective is more clear. When at Lake Geneva, which is referred to as Lake Le Mans, he says, Lake Le Mans woos me with its crystal face, the mirror where the stars and mountains view the stillness of their aspect in each trace. 
In this section, he reflects on the world he came from, and the contrast against the vast and powerful beauty in front of him is overwhelming. He states, I live not in myself, but I become portion of that around me. That's a nice way to put it. Wherever we are, whatever we are around, we become a portion of those surroundings. That word also implies that we are not whole at that point. We are only a piece of a larger whole. As I suggested earlier, this can be wonderful when you are a part of a loving couple or a family or even a larger community or culture. And as I talk about in episode 11, The Silent Breathing of Nature, it may be proven at some point that we are each a part of a grander whole. But all of this does not negate the necessity to identify these sources of gravity and try to redirect some of that energy onto discovering oneself and other things in life. Byron actually goes as far as saying that eventually his mind will be freed from his body as, quote, when elements to elements conform and dust is as it should be. He's connecting his body with a painful attachment to society, a world where he is, quote, a link reluctant in a fleshly chain. He then, in the same way that he is a part of society's whole back home, sees now a joining of spirits with nature. Here's a great stanza. Are not the mountains, waves, and skies a part of me and of my soul, as I of them? Is not the love of these deep in my heart with a pure passion? Should I not contemn all objects if compared with these, and stem a tide of suffering rather than forgo such feelings for the hard and worldly phlegm of those whose eyes are only turned below, gazing upon the ground with thoughts which dare not glow? Now this gaining of perspective is certainly to the extreme in the sense that he speaks negatively about all society, but this reflects the overall poem in which he is disillusioned and has grown tired of the world. However, from all works can we pick and choose our own bits and pieces of inspiration, and that's what I'm doing here. I actually spent a couple of days in Lausanne once, which lays against the hill along Lake Geneva in Switzerland. I was alone and about 20 and I was just beginning my adventure into literature back home. I, too, was struck by that place. It made quiet the world from which I had come, and my mind would, at times, drift back to that place for years to come. Even now, I must confess. So when later seeing that part of Byron's poem was written there, the thick disillusionment is accepted to feel the passionate connection he made with nature. But as I mentioned earlier, just diversifying your interests is extremely valuable. With every new event or hobby you pursue, you are loosening your alignment with other forces of attraction. And even bringing someone along, like a loved one or a friend, can be unbelievably revealing in the process of building perspective. Anyone who has tackled anything new with someone close can attest to that. Everything feels different, even your relationship with the other person. But the key here is that by understanding these patterns and forces that dictate our lives, we dismantle that ticking machine that our minds have constructed and sees as reality. It's all fictitious. There are all these fictitious human power structures and rules and guidelines that only work because everyone accepts and agrees to imagine them. 
If we can see things in society as only imagined and a part of this human gravity, then we can focus on what makes us unique, what defines our individual nature. It may be that only in our personal diversity can we find our natural selves. Do you know about Earth's wobble? <laughs> our planet not only spins and revolves around the sun, but it also has this unique, subtle wobble, which equates to about 20 feet at the North Pole and takes a little over a year to complete. It was reportedly finally proven in 2000, a hundred-year-old mystery, that the wobble is caused in part by the atmosphere, but mostly by the pressure at the bottom of the oceans. This is unique to the Earth. This is movement and activity driven by Earth's individual nature. So Earth has a wobble. We need a wobble. What's your wobble? <laughs> now I bet that's a question you don't hear every day. Lastly, I do want to say that our level of comfort, whether in our country or in our local culture, or even sitting with mom and dad on the back porch watching the late afternoon wind flow down from the canyon. That comfort can sometimes be never more beautiful and warm. And I must admit, for me, these feelings are at a high point when coming back from long travels out of the country. In this way, the power of proximity is a paradox, but I need to save the beautiful aspects of it for another time. Therefore, if we can more clearly see what tugs and pulls us along each day, we can hopefully step back and maybe not only gain perspective and discover more about ourselves, but also learn to appreciate the power of human gravity. That brings us to a close. So until next time, I wish you well, and don't forget to follow Nature's Lead.